Today we're very blessed to have uh, Pastor Andrew among us uh, to share the sermon on the shepherd as protector. We continue on, uh, yes, the Titus uh, studies, okay? So we're, got, we're preaching through the Titus, book of Titus. Can I invite Jaden to come forward to do the scripture reading for us? Thank you. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. That saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Pass the time to Pastor Andrew. Thanks, Jaden. Good job. All right. So I confess that um, I looked at this text and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's really intense. I'm like, ah, how do I preach this and how do I yeah, communicate this in a way that's honest to the text and honest to us, uh, but yet shows the love of Christ within this text as well. And so my job today is uh, to teach this text as hard it as it may sound, as critical as the words come to um, as we read them. I do believe there's a really important message for all of us, okay? So two weeks ago, um, or the last couple of weeks, you would have heard about uh, the qualifications of an elder for a church, right? Uh, qualifications of a pastor, qualifications of a leader, all kind of stuff. And anyone remember those attributes? There were 17 of them, right? Uh, a few of what they shouldn't be and some that what it should be. And I'm just going to remind you that... Uh, that Titus's role was to implement these elders within the churches of Crete, the Greece island of Crete, right? And Paul tells him an outline of what to select. And some of those attributes are what? To be slow to anger, right? Do you, now you remember to be gentle, to not be domineering, not be dishonest, to lead at home first. Remember that sermon that men are meant to lead at home first before they lead at the church or anywhere else. As well as be holy, devout, self-controlled, etc., etc. You remember the text, right? And that brings us to this text that we have today, this really sharp, kind of like, whoa, in your face kind of text, right? And he outlines a few things that, uh, that Titus is to do, okay? So this is the qualifications elder. He finishes it and brings up to verse 9 that he may be able by sound doctrine to both to exhort and convict those who contradict it, Okay. So the shepherd, the elder, the pastor, the leader is meant to have sound doctrine for two key things. One, to encourage you in your faith and one, to convict you in your faith, right? All so that you can go in Christ, okay? And 
you may find me like really weird type of pastor, right? One day I'm like smiling, I'm really chummy with you, I'm really nice to you, and, and some sermons I'm like full unleashing on you, right? So you might think, oh, this pastor's like schizophrenic, you know what I mean? Like why is he so nice one day, you know, and so like harsh the next day, right? You probably may have felt that before. And this is what Martin Luther, the great reformer, says, okay? He says this to describe the shepherd's role in particular to this text. He says this, A preacher slash pastor must be a soldier and a shepherd at the same time. He must be a soldier and at the same time a shepherd. He is to nourish, to feed. He is to defend, protect. And he is to teach. He must have teeth in his mouth to be able to bite as well as fight for protection of God's flock, okay, which is us. So not only is he meant to be a nurturer and to protect, to nurture, to have compassion, it is also meant to be a soldier, okay, because we're in the front line of a spiritual battle. And this is important because today's topic is the shepherd as protector, not the shepherd as a nurturer, not the shepherd as the fluffy nice guy, uh, but the shepherd as protector, which is my role, which is many roles within the church as well, okay? And I remember I was having a conversation with someone, and I mentioned to this uh, particular person that maybe he hadn't come to faith yet, although they may have been in church for a long time, they may not have. And I was kind of like... Uh, told that was a, not a nice thing to say, okay? But for me, that was the nicest thing I could possibly tell someone. Because the consequences of them not knowing this is dire. I wanted to protect, okay? My heart is to protect you from the plans of the devil, okay? And we have an enemy. And we need to be reminded that we have an enemy, because what happens often in the farm world and sheep, right? Because God describes us as sheep. That's not to meant to be derogatory, but we are. We, we, we're sheep to the slaughter in this world that is currently reigned and ruled by the devil. It's reigned and ruled by him. And so the shepherd must, must defend, must protect, okay? That's the heart of the sermon before I get into it. I'm going to pray. We're going to rock and roll, and maybe I won't get feisty, hopefully. All right, ready? <sighs> Lord, your word nourishes, yet convicts. Lord, your word is a lamp upon our feet. Your word is a double-edged sword at the same time. Your word gives us comfort. Your word, Lord, is all these things at the same time. So I ask, Lord, today that whatever this text shares with us, Lord God, that would not only nourish us but convict us of the things that we need to learn about in your kingdom, in particular in spiritual leadership, Lord. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So how does the shepherd protect? How does a pastor protect? How does an elder protect? How does a shepherd protect? Number one thing is that the shepherd protects you from bad influences that will tear you away from Christ, okay? I'm not talking about bad influences that you might see, uh, I guess, you know, 
Some people might don't hang around those people, right? Don't do this, don't do this, you know, it's bad for you, okay? I'm talking about not necessarily bad behavior, I'm talking about protecting you from bad influences that tear you away from Christ. Two different things. One is spiritual, one is just good moral standards that you would find in the world, okay? So my job is to protect you from that. Paul, in his letter, outlines to Titus five, I think it's five, yep, five or six, six key attributes, okay, of what bad influences look like within the church context. Not at your school necessarily, but within this particular church, in these pews, in this place. So I'm going to read the text. I'm going to basically outline those bad influences. For there are many rebellious people. Okay, here we go. Full of meaningless talk, deception, especially those from the circumcision group. This probably makes no sense to you, and I'll explain it. They must be silenced, the Word of God says, because they're disrupting whole households by their teaching. They ought not to teach, and for the sake, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of the Cretes prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy, and gluttons. It goes on. He further says this, to, to, pure, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Okay, he keeps going. He doesn't, you know, he just, just keeps going. He says this, they claim to know God, but by their actions deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing any good. Okay, thanks, Paul. I feel encouraged by that letter. All right, I'm going to basically go through each attribute so you guys understand it and explain the rationale behind this, okay? First one is this. The one number one attributes of bad influences within a church are insubordination. I know most, some people be like, what's insubordination, okay? It is a rebellious spirit. Someone who doesn't listen to authority, someone who is always, you know, rebelling, not listening, not wanting, and you may know someone in your classroom or your workplace who's just a pain in the bum, right? To be honest, I used to have a rebellious spirit, sometimes I still do, okay? But this is a consistent rebellion, someone who has a bit of an ego, who chooses always just to be controversial, to be decisive, divisive, okay? And they refuse to come under authority. This is how you spot them, okay? This is a bad influence. Why? It teaches other people to do the same, especially if they're not stopped. Second one, this, and this is important for us. Paul outlines people who are idle talkers, empty talkers and deceivers, okay? So you may be thinking in your mind, oh, these people are really bad, right? They're really manipulative, okay? He's talking about a church context, exactly like ours. So actually, most of you, are, you would say on the general world standard are pretty nice, okay? So how do we reconcile this particular text? He outlines that these types of people, they appear Christian, okay? You're getting where I'm going with this? They talk like they know scripture. They speak Christianese, worship, Grace of God, hallelujah, 
prayer, right? They know all the lingo. But when they actually talk, there's zero empty spiritual emphasis when they talk, right? So in other words, as we talk about God, as we go to a Bible study, as we go to church, their words are empty of spiritual revelation so that no one comes closer to God through their speech, okay? So I'm talking, we're talking, we have conversations all the time at church, Bible studies, reverb, wherever it may be. He's talking about idle talkers who talk about things, no spiritualations, and it actually helps no one know Christ more. Are we feeling this? Then he outlines, in particular, this certain group called the circumcision group, right? So some of you will know what the circumcision group is. Some of you will have no idea. What is the circumcision group? Let me explain what circumcision is. It's basically cutting off some foreskin off your genitals if you're a male, okay? Let me be explicit. Yes, it's kind of gruesome, but it was a sign for the Israelites, um, almost like a, like, a, like a, I don't know what it's called, like a membership badge, you could say. It's kind of awkward. But it's a sign to show that you belong to God of Israel, right? And so when these Jewish people came into the church, they got converted, and they expected every other person, uh, non-Jewish, Asians, right, whoever was in the church, to get circumcised and do all these laws as well, right? And that was known as heresy, okay? So Paul is particular, outlining this particular group in the church, okay? How is that relevant for us? Have we been circumcised? Probably not, okay? It would be really awkward, but what is underlying in the circumcision group? It's based on one key thing, that to become a Christian, you were required to do all these things. Now, I'm going to speak on this because this is important. So we've got to listen up, all right? How does the circumcision group make sense for CACV? Underneath the circumcision group is an idea of what we call works, right? And you've heard this before but I'm going to elaborate for us because this is very important. To be a good Christian, to be saved, to be a part of the kingdom of God, I must do these things. This is what the, the Jews were saying, okay? I have to get circumcised. You have to follow all these rules, dietary rules. You can't eat this. You can't do this. You can't do this. So in their mind, it's a bunch of behaviors that we have to do or a bunch of actions, Okay? This is how I become a Christian. This is how the grace of God works. This is how it all works. But Paul is very clear this is not nothing of how it works. And so do we have a circumcision group in this church? I guarantee you we do. We definitely do. And I call it works-based Christianity, okay? You look like a Christian, you talk like a Christian, you pray like a Christian, but underneath it all is an emptiness of spiritual revelation that requires works, behaviors, certain things that we need to do, prayers, the right prayers, tithes, all these actions that are required. The circumcision group at CACV, okay? So Paul is confronting these in Crete, 
and I'm trying to explain it to you at our church, okay? He goes on to explain a few other things. He calls them dishonest motives. So some people will come to church on a separate topic. Um, Some will actually come eventually to this church. You may have experienced it already or may not. They'll come in this church, they'll have impure motives, and let me give you an example of some impure motives that may, people may come into a church for. Number one, to sell something, okay? Sometimes a real estate agent might come, sometimes a false teacher may come. They come here to build connections so they could build their business outside, right? You'll see these, okay? That's an obvious one. Number two is actually wolves in sheep's clothing. People, this is... Anyway, I'm doing a subject at MST. I'm going off a tangent. I wasn't meant to say this, but I'll say it anyway. The subject I'm doing is called Spiritual Warfare and Deliverance uh, According to the Bible, right? So this is a subject at MST, a really good subject, and it describes how demons and devils, you know, uh, are still prevalent for us today, okay? So that's why me, why I'm using more spiritual language than I usually would. However, in this particular case, in this particular church, just like this, Two witches came, okay? Two witches came to the church, and they fit straight in. Went to Bible studies, they worshipped God, they were the first ones to the altar calls, all that kind of stuff, right? No one had a clue that two witches had entered the church. No one, right? This is a real story, right? What ended up happening is that one day a preacher came, and, he, and this particular preacher was a prophetess, Okay? So I won't explain what a prophetess is because that will take too long. But basically, a preacher with the gift of prophecy, okay? She came into the church, and she was preaching, preaching, and there was, you know, talk, you know prayer time, and she said, there are two women in this particular church who are witches, and you're here to deceive the rest of the flock, right? These two women fell straight into the ground and felt convicted by the, the Spirit of God, okay? But they fit straight into the church, So what they were doing before they came into the church was praying, passing curses on Christians, all that kind of stuff. Ouija board, you know, weird things, okay? There were sheep in, uh, sorry, wolves in sheep's clothing. True story. I haven't seen that here yet. I don't have the gift of prophecy, but maybe it could happen here. My job is to protect you from that, okay? Paul uses this line. The bottom here in verse 12, Cretans are always liars, evil, brutes, lazy, gluttons. He quotes a prophet from Crete, and she's actually not a prophet. I won't delve into this, but basically, there's someone in the Cretan world who was known as a circular prophet, and he's quoting them to describe the nature of what Cretans are, right? And they were very taking advantage of people type of people, okay? So I won't harp onto that. But he's using this as an example of what's happening in the church. We know what a legalist mindset is, and he describes them, he denies gods by their actions, okay? Um, there are a few words here that I want to outline. He, last verse here in 16. So these are the other attributes of bad influences, okay? I know I'm harping this long, but I'll make a conclusion. 16. But by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing any good. Um, if you do a, a word study in these terms, it's detestable, disobedient, disqualified, right? The word detestable 
means polluted by idolatry. And you may think that these words are a bit harsh, probably don't uh, mean anything for our context because we're all decent people. But for someone who's polluted by idolatry, means they look at other things to fulfill them aside from God. That's what it means, polluted by idolatry, right? Is that, was that within the church? 100% it is. This word for uh, unfit for doing anything good means the word disqualified. They are disqualified. And what this actual word by disqualified means is a word called adokimos, and it's to describe a counterfeit coin. So when I was in uni, I went into uh, Shanghai. So anyone know much about Shanghai? I've been there before. It's a busy city. Uh, a very busy city. So you go down People's Square. There's millions of people running around, lots of good food. You get Xiaolong Bao's, really nice food there, right? One thing you go to Shanghai for is to visit what we call the flea markets, okay? So these are the markets. And within these markets, you could buy anything, anything you want, handbags, clothes, and they're cheap. And they're busy with a lot of foreigners. Why? Because you can get a lot of fake goods. So you could buy an LV wallet for like $10, right? And it would be like a really, really convincing LV wallet. Like, it looks like the real deal, okay? So... Obviously, a lot of foreigners go there because they like to wear, you know, bling bling and, you know, they don't mind a good fake. And Shanghai in China is known for creating very, very good fakes. And the better the fake, the more money that you pay for the fake, okay? Why do I say this? Because like a counterfeit coin, someone in Paul's view who was disqualified looks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, but is empty of the spiritual revelation. You get my point, all right? These are the six attributes, and I won't harp on because I've gone way too long into this. So here's the important things. As a pastor, or as a leader, or anyone looking to become a deacon, or even elder, or whatever it may be, your number one job is to nurture and protect. I will name a few things that we need to do, okay? The reason why this is so important and why I do have tough conversations with people and some of you have had tough conversations with you before and I hope you understand my heart behind this, okay? If I let people become, for instance, worship leaders or Bible study leaders, or pastors, or elders, or deacons, who are not fit, who have been disqualified, right? What ends up happening, that effect flows on. It is subtle. It is very subtle, but it flows on to the rest of the church to create a culture saying that is okay. You doing it enough, and the church no longer looks like the church as it should be in the text, Okay? Let me give you tangible examples that I know may hurt some people, and I'm sorry in advance, and this is not to condemn, this is to convict. This is not to condemn, this is to convict. This is truth. There's a culture within our church 
that has been passed on generation to generation, and I've seen it, of leaders and people being okay with dating people who are not Christian, okay? They've been put in places of influence. They've been put in places where to suggest that if a leader is allowed to do that, it allows everyone to do that. So generation after generation, what I see repeated is is that that same mistake. This is a perfect example, a perfect example of that, of why it's important to honor Christ in this particular way, for me to protect the church by not letting uh, people who aren't ready for a position just yet. And you may know people who have been stepped down for it. You may know people who have done this before and it's not to condemn them the heart of the text is one key word and it says this it's not to condemn the people not to shame not to humiliate is to help them find sound faith to help you find sound faith in God that is my heart, heart of all pastors who hope they're good pastors, to help any, every individual find good and sound faith. So when this happens, some people may think, oh, why is a pastor such a, you know, a stifler for the rules, you know? Why is he so like, that's not the nice thing to say, that's not loving, that's not caring, right? And there's a picture of pastors being this little teddy bear that's meant to please everyone, that's meant to be nice all the time, right? And yes, In some ways, that is true. But the other side of the shepherd is to what? Protect. And so what ends up happening if people in this way get positions of influence, okay? People are going to point at that particular person and say, hey, why are they doing that? Hey, why are they unholy? Hey, and they start pointing out errors in this particular person, right? Because that's what people do. People look at someone who's a role model and they're like, hey, they don't live by Christian means. That's not right. So when a pastor does something like this, like a discipline or a step down or a correction, it's not only protecting the rest of the flock from the example, it is protecting the individual from one, humiliation and condemnation and judgment from others, okay? There's two things here. Protection of the rest of the flock, as well as protection for that particular individual, right? And of course, it is done in a way that is full of grace and full of love and full of nurture. We're not here to humiliate. We're not here to crush. We're here to get people to have sound faith. That is my job. Let it be through nurturing. Let it be through correcting. Number two reason. What happens if we let bad doctrine or bad teaching, uh, doctrine is basically understanding the Word of God, uh, infiltrate our church, is that once again, these things go fast. Especially in those who have a weaker understanding of faith, and it's cool to have a strong week. You just got to be honest, right? When we do have that, 
we're easily influenced. I, I remember, right, I wasn't a strong personality. Well, I was a much weaker personality when I was young. I was very shy, very insecure, didn't have confidence, and I befriended some really popular kids in school. Then I became popular by association, right? So I'm this, suddenly people look at me as a cool kid. I'm like, definitely not cool. Anyway, these, these, all these boys had like, like really, you know, strong, confident views of the world. This is the way it should be. So me with a weaker understanding of my personality, my confidence, my values, what happens? I just flow straight into that, right? I'll give an example. So I had my first shot of tequila at 17. Anyone had tequila before? I hope you haven't, right? But I had it at 17 and a half, right? And mind you, I hadn't graduated. We just finished high school. So, um, you know, but hadn't got my enter score yet. This is like post, you know, schoolies, right? Everyone knows schoolies, yeah? This is my little schoolies. So my, one of my best friends at the time was holding his big party at his place. He was rich, right? So he had a pool table, all kind of stuff. And invited all our friends. And I've never drank alcohol in my entire life. I walk in there, I'm, you know, seeing shots thrown, you know, all kind of stuff. I'm like, what is happening here? It's like a circus here, right? And my friend's like, hey, Femi. That's my name back then, right? You can call me Pastor Femi if you want. I don't care, right? So, Femi. I'm like, hey, right? He says, drink, drink, drink. I'm like, no, 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 right? So, I'm like, not having a bar of tequila right? or drinks at all. Anyway, by the end of the night, you know, everyone's having so much fun. They're like, Femi, drink, drink, drink. I'm like, and they kept asking me, Peer pressure, peer pressure, right? What happened? Weak, not confident, me, wanted to fit in. I take my first shot of killer. It tasted terrible, mind you. But the feeling afterwards, I was like, oh, this is a good feeling. Let's have some more. Let's have some more, right? So what I'm trying to say is those who are weaker in faith, when they are presented with false teaching and false doctrine, they can be easily manipulated easily fooled, okay? My job is to protect you from that. Protect you from that. Make sense? So he describes it as disrupting households. That these people come, they infiltrate, and they talk about all these weird things in Christ that sound good, but are not necessarily true to the Word of God. My job is to stop that from happening. So that you may be sound in your faith, that you may grow in your faith. All right, you get the point. So, number one was to identify these bad influences. My number two job, it's kind of like a role description in this thing. <laughs> anyway, is to correct bad influences. I'm here to correct not only nourish and care. So I will visit you at the hospital Pastor Colin will visit you at the hospital. We will pray for you when you're struggling. We will. We will message you. When you've got COVID, hopefully we'll, you know, organize something if not, someone else hasn't, right? That's a big part of our job. And hopefully I've done a little bit justice to that, the same with Pastor Colin and the same with some of a lot of our pastors and elders and, and, and our leaders, right? That we've got a really lovely church and people who are generally really caring, right? What we lack is the ability to confront and discipline. We lack that. It's almost as if we have no idea how to do that in this church, right? Like zero, never been modeled, I'm guessing, I'm not sure. It's like when, when things require some kind of confrontation or some kind of like, you know, 
awkward conversation about feelings and, you know, how did you feel about that? How did I feel about that? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Let's pray together. Right? You know that awkward confrontation, right? And so when it's awkward, we kind of like walk away from this conversation because we don't want to. Maybe we're not equipped, okay? But the pastor's job and our leader's job is to be able to have these conversations full of grace. And Paul's words are pretty harsh, actually, okay? So I'm here to correct as well as to nourish. He says, these people that we outlined must be silenced. Whoa, okay, settle down, Paul. Not only are they meant to be silenced, they are to be rebuked sharply. Okay, all right. What does this mean? I'm not swearing, this is actually what it means, okay? They must be silenced basically means to shut them up, okay? All right? Um, It's basically to stop their mouths from speaking, which is a bit harsh. And, and to rebuke them sharply is to reprove severely, um, you know, to, to, to admonish. Once again, I want to emphasize, when this happens, it's never to humiliate, it's never to crush, but it is, needs to at times be stern, okay? Anyone ever experienced bullying before? Maybe some kid pushed you at school, maybe you had a boss who was verbally abusive, maybe you had a brother or sibling who beat you up. You know? Yeah, I'm seeing some looks. My brother used to beat me up, right? Serious, legitimately. You, you guys have met my brother. But he used to bully me. And so when you get bullied, what happens? You either keep getting bullied until they stop and grow up, or you just keep getting bullied. Unless what? You confront them with what? A stern word. Or you fight back, right? Sometimes bullies won't stop until you actually push them back. I'm not saying, I'm not condoning violence, but I'm just trying to say, they take advantage of people's good graces enough so much that they just keep abusing someone, okay? So sometimes in the church, we will have people who are like bullies. They keep thinking their opinion is right, but unless someone stands up to them and corrects them, they will keep doing it until they stop. This is why Paul is saying these things so sharply, because maybe the nice way didn't work. Sometimes you have to stand up to these things. And it's the pastor's job, not only what? To nourish, but to protect, to put on that soldier uniform rather than the shepherd's gown. Let me give you another example. So in my previous church, you guys knew I went to Bridge Church. It's one of the bigger churches in Melbourne. It's a Pentecostal church. I had someone... One of my leaders came up to me and he said, um, I think I've, I know someone from a cult who's come into our small group and is trying to co- convince people to come to his little Bible study that he's running, right? And he was really nice, you know, sheep, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, all that kind of stuff. And this guy told me, he's like, what do I do about it? I don't know what to do. So he invited me to lunch with this particular person in the group. I sat right next to him. It was an Asian guy, you know, seemed really nice, all that kind of stuff. And I told him a story. I told him a story that, uh, uh, and we chatted for like, you know, a good five, ten minutes, so I'm warming him up, right? I told him a story about how some cult people come to different churches 
and uh, try to still flock away uh, and try to tear this flock away for the sake of the devil, right? And not in those words, but basically that's a summary, okay? I explained to him, I explained to him that I see people do this all the time, right? So he's sitting there really uncomfortable right now, right? He's looking at me really uncomfortably because he's exactly that person. And I said to him, you know, my job as leader is to make sure those people um, don't influence the flock in a bad way, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? He said yes. He never came back. He never came back. Let me be clear. I've seen people who are weak in their faith be completely convinced that a cult is a real thing. And they stop work. They tell, I've been told by one of my best friends to join this cult. He's like, you have to come, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, mate, you know? He was fully convinced he was in the right, in the right, in the right thing, okay? Once again, the pastor's job, the shepherd's job, a leader's job is to confront and not be afraid of doing that. That's my job description, guys. <laughs> um, I hope this makes sense to you. And I know some people I've had uh, direct and frank conversations with, and I hope you understand my heart when I do. Some of you need love and care. I've tried my best. I've failed at times, obviously. But if you need anything, I am here. Don't be afraid to talk to me. I can be fiery at times, but my heart is always in your best interest, in particular, in your faith. Don't take my fiery attitude at times to mean that I'm not approachable. I was told that I can be intimidating by one of the reverbians. <laughs> I was like, really, me? I apologize if I come across that way. But my 100% heart is that you're sound in your faith. That's all I care about. So let me pray for exactly that, okay? Lord, I just want to thank you for the Word of God. As difficult as it is to read sometimes, as confusing as it is to read to time, it is always flavored with grace and love. We may not fully understand it at times. It may across, come across as harsh. But you, O oh Lord, we must understand is always loving always seeks to love and at times to love we must correct at times of love we must pursue justice in times of love we must discipline this is what a good father does lord so we we as a church not not only embrace loving people but embrace at times confrontation and correction when it's built in with love for the soundness of faith i pray that CAC would not be a church that's comfortable, that would not be a church that is legalistic and see things as a bunch of behaviors to be a good Christian, but to fully understand the grace of God in their heart, in their life, Lord. I ask, Lord God, that you would raise leaders who are not only shepherds, but soldiers, Lord, that we would learn to confront, that we would learn to discipline, that we would learn to correct when it is necessary. Help us, give us wisdom to raise a generation here at CACV to love, to nurture, to soldier. 
you help each and every soul in this place, little by little, have a sadness of faith, week by week, sermon by sermon, prayer by prayer, Lord. May you will be done in this place. In Jesus' name I pray.